Luke 1, 26 through 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Amen. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Now, if you've never even read Romeo and Juliet, I'm sure you've heard that line quoted. It's when Juliet recites it, suggesting that names don't matter. They have nothing to do with who you are. But I'll tell you, if you tell an expecting couple that names don't matter, you will get a very sharp rebuke because names do matter. In fact, naming a child is probably the most difficult decision that expecting parents need to make regarding their new child that's coming. In fact, there was a recent poll done, and they asked them all kinds of questions. And the number one most argued about thing for expecting parents was over naming the child. Names matter. And I'm sure each of you that have had a child can tell a story related to the naming of your child. The meaning behind it, the, the process to get that one name. We all have stories about names in our families. You know, there's even a business, naming consultants. They're out there. It's a big, big business. I had no idea until I started researching naming. But there's actually a company, there are people, they call themselves naming consultants. And they will tell you, based on the name you're thinking about for your child, 
they will take that name and they'll say, well, it doesn't sound so good with that last name. And these are the famous people. These are the characteristics of people with that name. Who would have thought it'd be such a big deal to pick a name for a child? You know, we don't have the advantage of having an angel come down and tell us what to name people. Well, I didn't. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you guys are special. <laughs> but you know what? John the Baptist, an angel came and said what his name was going to be in Luke 1.13. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. There was no one in the family named John. In fact, if you read further in Scripture, when they're about to name him, they no, you need to name him Zechariah. And there's an argument kind of where Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. And Zechariah says, no, his name is John when he can speak again. Because the angels foretold, he will be named John. Now Luke also records the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to share the name of her firstborn. Don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. But now it's interesting because Matthew, the only other gospel that tells about the birth of Jesus, he tells of an angel visiting Joseph in a dream. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, one thing we discover when we read through the Bible is that names matter. There arises in us this sense of wonder and awe as we read through Scripture and we understand the value of a person's name and how God is reflected in those that he names. See, when God gave someone a new name, it was because a divine purpose had been revealed to them. In Scripture, names brought identity. So when God changed someone's name, it was because he had transformed that person's identity. And he had set them on a whole new path of life and purpose. And then a person's name, it became a symbol of their God-ordained mission to be his ambassador in the world. They were bringing his grace. They were sharing his goodness and his love and hope into the world. For example, Abram's name became Abraham as a sign of God's promise to make him a father of all nations. Simon's name got changed to Peter upon his recognition that Jesus was the Messiah. Names matter. But why the name Jesus? Why does that name matter? Why that name? What is so significant about the name Jesus? And it wasn't uncommon in those days. It was, the name Jesus back then was much along the lines of Jim and John today. It was pretty common. 
But you know what? That's because he was every man's man. He was named a common name so that the commoners would know they could come. And he was like them, one of them. But to really discover the wonder of the name Jesus, we have to go back to the Old Testament. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And that is a name that was familiar to the Jewish people. Joshua was Moses' successor. See, Joshua was born into slavery when the Israelites were held captive in Egypt. And he was given the name Hosea, meaning salvation. After the Israelites were freed from captivity in Egypt and they were led through the desert toward the promised land by Moses, Hosea's name got changed. In Numbers 13, 16, there's a list of the spies that are sent into the promised land. It says, these are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hosea son of Nun by the name Joshua. See, Moses took two words, Jehovah, which was the proper name of the God of Israel. And he took Hosea, meaning salvation, or God saves. And he wove them together to form a new name, Joshua, or Yehoshua in Hebrew, meaning the Lord is salvation. God saves. You think about God saves. you imagine that being your name? Wow. And then when Moses died... It was Joshua who God named as his successor. And it was Joshua who led the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Every Jew at the time of Jesus' birth understood that Joshua was used by God. He was used to deliver their people from a life of futility, from a life of death in the wandering in the wilderness to be brought into a land of the living, a land flowing with milk and honey and promise. So when Joseph heard the angel declare the name of his firstborn son, Jesus, for he will save people from their sins, Joseph would have understood the reality of this one, the one who would be called Jesus bringing salvation to God's people again. But this time, in a way that no mere ordinary man could do. This time, the one who would bear the name Lord is salvation would actually be the Lord of salvation in flesh, who has come to lead God's people out of lives of futility and death and into the land of the living again. But this land of the living, this was not of the physical world. This promised land was otherworldly. It was and is heavenly and eternal. 
This promised land is what we call the kingdom of God. This time, God was sending himself, Jesus, to lead us out of the wilderness of sin, out of the wilderness of sorrow, heartache, and emptiness into the promised land of his presence. See, God knew that we had a problem. A problem that needed a plan to be fixed. That plan involved Jesus stepping out of heaven to live among us and then paying the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. What was our problem? Was it just ignorance? Did we just not understand God? Did we just not know enough about God? Because if that was the case, then Jesus would have just come as a teacher. But he was more than that. If our problem was just one of brokenness, one of illness, Jesus would have come only to heal. If our problem was relational, meaning we just couldn't get along with one another, because our pride got in the way, because we were angry. Jesus would have only come as a counselor. If our problem was only poverty, Jesus would have only come as a prophet crying out for economic justice. Yes, we have all those problems, and we have a lot more too. But they are merely symptoms of our biggest and deepest problem. We're sinners. Remember what the angel told Joseph. She will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The angels who appeared to the shepherds in the field gave the same message. Do not be afraid, for behold, you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God knew we needed more than a teacher, more than a healer, more than a counselor. He knew we needed more than just a prophet. God knew that to solve our problems, we needed a savior. That's exactly who we sent. It's the good news. No matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what you have done, God has sent a savior to rescue you from wandering in futility and bring every one of us into the land of the living. God has sent a savior to save you from your sins. And God didn't stop there. The wonder of his name is even bigger than that. At the conclusion of chapter one, Matthew makes reference to the prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. 
Isaiah 7:14 says, "All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us." Matthew says that the birth of Jesus is happening in fulfillment of this prophecy. He recites it in Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23. means God is with us. Do we understand what that means? God is with us. The Almighty, the all-holy, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent God came down, came down to be with us. In the birth of Jesus, we learn the greatness of our God. We learn about the God who created the universe, who works miracles, who came to heal us, to touch us. In the birth of Jesus, we find a God who has perfect timing and a plan for us. And he came to be one of us. Have you ever told someone you just wouldn't understand unless you walked a mile in my shoes? How many of you have ever had someone that's never experienced anything you've experienced or gone through and tried to give you advice on how to do it? It's classic for for parents who are raising children and they have that one single friend that seems to have all the answers on how to raise a perfect child. And so they always seem to come in and say, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. I think you should do it this way. Well, you know what, friend? Come back when you have three screaming children and give me your advice. Because you don't know. You can't experience what I'm going through. You haven't been there. One of the things when my dad was, was getting much sicker near the end And everyone was trying to cheer up. Come on, you can do this. But the only one that he listened to was me. Because he knew with the MS and the brain cancer that I could relate to some of that pain and some of that that feeling of, well, I can't do this anymore. And so I was the only one that was able to speak into his situation because I had experienced the similar symptoms and the similar feelings of not being able to do it. But you have a Savior that has walked in your shoes because he stepped down to be God with us, one of us. Hebrews 4.15 says, The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, For he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. See, Jesus knows the sting of rejection and betrayal. Jesus understands the pain of losing someone you love. Jesus understands the pain in suffering when our human bodies can go through an illness or disease. He knows it. He's been through it. So when you bring it to him, he says, I understand. I've been there. 
Jesus became one of us so he could feel what we feel. So he could be tempted as we are tempted. And so we could overcome because we saw him overcome. See, the wonder of the name Jesus is that it's more than just a name. It has become our only comfort in life and in death. It has become our hope in a hopeless world. John tells us in his gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. By believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in what? In the name of the Lord Jesus. There is power in that name. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. The power of the name, Jesus. But Jesus is not a magic wand. It's not just a name you can rattle off and say, there, I'm healed. Jesus is. Jesus said. That's not how any of this works. That's not what this means. The power in the name is in the person behind the name. Remember what the angel told Joseph. He will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus was more than just a great teacher. He was more than just an enlightened man or prophet. He was more than just a miracle worker. Jesus was more than a self-help guru. Jesus was more than just a builder of self-esteem. Jesus was more than a caring friend. Jesus was and is the Savior of sinners, of which every one of us in here is one. And there lies the power and the wonder of the name for those who choose to believe in him for the forgiveness of their sins. That's the wonder of the name. That's the power behind the name. The name Jesus, that's the most holy name in the whole universe. There is no other name which inspires more worship than the name Jesus. There's no other name which instills more passionate commitment than the name Jesus. Name which instills more courage 
and more faith than the name Jesus. The holy name of Jesus is a name that changes everything in our lives. That's why out there they want to change it from Christmas to Xmas. Because Jesus' name has a power that they don't want to recognize. They're afraid of it. We need to show them there's nothing to be afraid of. And so we need to be shouting it and exalting the name Jesus. Need to be shouting it from the rooftops. There's an old hymn called, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. It says, Jesus, the name that charms our fears and bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. Have you ever had those moments when you just don't know what to do? Or the pain and the heartache is just so great that you can't even catch your breath. Those are the moments where we just say, Jesus, Jesus, come and be with me. I don't know what to do. I can't do it alone. Jesus, I need you. Just say, Jesus, he's listening. And it's in those moments when the power and the wonder of his name become a reality. It becomes our lifeline. As we close up the message today, I want us to take time and sit in the wonder of his name. Because whatever you are facing today, whatever you might fight, face tomorrow, we need to discover the wonder and the power of the name Jesus to be with you in all things and at all times. We need to learn to say Jesus even when we don't know what else to say. <laughs>